We are beginning a new sermon series right at the start of this year. It's a sermon series called Foundations, and it's looking at the foundational basics of our Christian faith. So right up front, today's sermon topic is tricky. It's tricky to grasp because it's tricky to preach. So bear with me because I am going to boggle your mind a little bit, but I'm going to try to bring it all back together. So I hope I can do that. The scripture I've chosen this morning is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. It's titled, The Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to ask you a question now. And please be honest with me. You can nod or shake or whatever you decide to answer, however you decide to answer. Here's the question. Do you think that the belief, the doctrine, the dogma, that God is Trinity really affects your life? Okay. How can something so difficult to understand and grasp so remarkably strange and out there, really matter to me down here. I'm going to tell you. Because God is Trinity, we have the opportunity to fellowship with him. And if he were otherwise, we couldn't. It's as simple as that. Trinity is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. You cannot rightly bear the name Christian and deny the Trinity. Our forefathers, our foremothers in our faith fought to protect this belief. They went into exile in foreign lands. They suffered persecution at home and some even martyrdom. Rather than to allow it to become diluted with irrelevant matters or tainted with untruth. These saints who preserved the faith, our faith, your faith and mine, invested their lives into upholding a right view of the Trinity. So it's only right then that we too be ready to defend and pass on, whole and intact, our faith. So this is a short little maths lesson as part of my sermon. I know school hasn't started, but we'll just give a little bit of a kickoff. Let's talk about one. One plus nothing equals one. One is singular. It's unity, simplicity, completeness, entirety, rationality. Do you better understand one? Okay. What is one plus one plus one? Three. Three is not singular, but it is complementarity, complexity, harmony, 
cooperation and completeness. Three is duh, more than one. Do we understand three better? Okay. What is Trinity? This is the only really heavy as in difficult part that we'll go over. Promise it'll be short, so can you hang in there with me for the next minute and a half? Trinity is tri-unity, three in one. The doctrine of the Trinity says that God is three persons in one being, three existences in one essence. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are not three gods, but one God. Trinity also means that God is one in three. God's one essence, his essential being, the what of God, is expressed in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the who of God. The three are not the same who, but are the same what. The Father and the Son are distinct persons, and they exist without confusion as God, but they are united in the Godhead. They do not have a different Godness, but are one. Is your head spinning? Well, we're done with the hard stuff. It's all downhill from here. But what does Scripture say? At his essence, God must be one. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. God is one. He is not duplicitous. He does not change like shifting shadows. James reminds us of that. He is singularly God. There is no God but him. Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or praise to my idols. He alone is holy. Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God alone is mighty to perform his works. Exodus 15, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? There is no other God like our God. He is one. In his persons, God is three. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. Each has their own personhood, but they are all one and the same nature. They're the same essence. God the Father is the creator, the begetter, and the source. God the Son is the redeemer, the begotten, the word, and our brother. God the Spirit is the sanctifier, he who precedes, the paraclete, the helper, and the advocate. Now with this brief discussion, do we understand or comprehend the Trinity? I don't, certainly not. But I'd like to move on from discussing what the Trinity is. We're going to skip right over the question of how God is Trinity, because it really is simple to understand. It's a mystery. That's all we need to understand. But I want to continue because I want to discuss a little bit about why God is Trinity. 
Have you ever thought about why God isn't just one and that's all? Why can't he just be three in three? If you ever doubt that God doesn't contain the perfection, not just of masculinity and femininity, the complexity of the Trinity should reassure us because why are humans so complicated? Actually, it's not correct to say God is complex, but that's a whole other sermon. We'll delve into that at a later stage. So why is God a Trinity? And this is where it gets really exciting because it involves you and me and our everyday lives with him and our lives with each other. If God were a monad, just one person, one unit, an indivisible and simple entity, he would be utterly alone. He wouldn't be lonely. God is perfect, containing within himself everything he needs and everything he wants. God has no need for creation, whether we're here or not. He is still God. Not so for us. If God doesn't exist, we surely don't exist either. If God were one person, all of his perfection would be locked up tightly within himself, free to act or not to act, but never finding fellowship or union. Now there is a sense that God, Father, Son, and Spirit together, is a monad, as he, is as he alone is God. More three-in-one concept there. If God were a dyad, that is two persons, a two-part unit, like a song with both words and lyrics, or a hamburger with both beef and bun, he would no longer be alone. But he would have union entirely within his own two persons. Again, remember that God is perfect and self-sufficient. Now, if there were, say, just a father and a son, the two would always be focused on each other. Their gaze would never depart from one another, and their union would be confined to this one-dimensional relationship. The other bigger problem with the idea of God as a dyad is that the number two implies opposition. Heads and tails, black and white. God cannot be in opposition to himself. If this dyad were not opposed, then they would be complementary. And the need of distinction in the pair would be lost. So we need to reject this view of God. But if God is a triad, more than that, a trinity, three persons in one nature, a unit of three, like a musical chord with three notes that work together to form a single whole. He has in himself relationship and fellowship. Having three persons allows God to be diverse without opposition. Where a dyad has two extremes, a triad allows distinction of parts with unity of purpose. God within the Trinity is perfect and self-fulfilled. But he is so with relationship. The father can't just be with the son and leave the spirit out in the cold. All three persons are in unity and communion with one another. And here's what's so exciting. 
What's so unique about the Christian faith? Since God is Trinity, and since he has relationship and fellowship with himself, we have the opportunity to share in God's life. Where one person is exclusive and two persons make a closed community, three creates an open community. True fellowship. Peter wrote that we can then participate in the divine nature because God himself allows it. There is no God like our God. You and I have the chance to fellowship with God because of the Trinity. That is good news. We can fellowship with God just simply because of the Trinity. We live in a world that values compromise, tolerance, give and take, far more than absolute truth. But God warns us in Romans 9 verse 13, in case we fall into the trap, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. But why did God hate Esau? In Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews tells us, for a single meal, Esau sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Esau had the inheritance, the birthright, the blessing of his father Isaac, which was the rights to the covenant that God had made with Abraham. Esau had little esteem for the promise of God. The promise, I am, the sh I am your shield, your very great reward. And the promise to become God's own nation. Now his brother Jacob. Jacob sought fervently this covenant. And Esau was willing to compromise, to sell out his inheritance for instant gratification, a meal. Perhaps he thought that Isaac would still grant him his blessing, tolerating his verbal denunciation of that birthright. But no, even with tears and wailing, it would be not so. We're told that in Genesis. Hebrews 12 verse 17 reminds us, Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind. He was, though he sought the blessing with tears. Friends, if we think that we can deny any part of the Trinity, we're denying the truth of our faith, in part or in whole. And if we think that we can deny that true faith and still hold on to the hope of eternal life, all the good things promised to those of us who believe, to us Christians, we, we deceive ourselves. The revelation of this trinity, of these promises, came from God himself in 2 Peter 1. No prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by his Holy Spirit. We have a duty, a responsibility to pass on to our children, our grandchildren, our nephews, our nieces, our friends, the faith that we've been given. We all want to leave a legacy. That legacy should be the faith that we have, untainted by corruption. The faith that we have in all of its richness, full of life, strong and powerful, pointing to the hope we have in eternal life. 
eternal life in communion and fellowship with the triune God. We cannot completely explain the mystery of the Trinity, but by faith we believe in the triune nature of God. By faith we are confident of things we do not see. By faith we know that we are loved by our Heavenly Father. By faith we know that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. By faith we know that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. And when Jesus returns and we, his disciples, are changed and transformed into his likeness, when we are in heaven in the presence of God, then and only then will the mystery of mysteries, the triune nature of God, no longer be a mystery to us. What was hinted at in the Old Testament and demonstrated in the New will be fully revealed to us when we stand in glory. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes about how God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit give us hope. By faith we are disciples of Christ. Paul tells us that we are justified with God the Father by faith. We are made in alignment with. We are made right with God by faith. We are justified through faith in Jesus through God the Son. Jesus the Son is our mediator he intercedes for us with God the Father. The Son is merciful and loving. In Christ, we are able to stand before God as justified. By the Holy Spirit, God operates in our lives, changing, conforming, transforming, and empowering us to be dynamic disciples. The Holy Spirit is poured out on each one of us to equip us with power from on high. Each of the three persons of our one God have different attributes, yet the three work together as one so that we can be saved, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be assured of our salvation and our eternal destiny. The mystery of the, tri of the Trinity is something we cannot fully understand, but it is true. As finite human beings, we will nearly, never fully understand our infinite God. The mystery of the Trinity demonstrates the unfathomable nature of our God. He is the God of the possible and the impossible. God is our Father. Jesus is our mediator. The Holy Spirit is our helper. They are three and they are one. God is with us and we know it. We can feel it. And we can be encouraged by this triune God. I close with this. We may not know or understand everything about the Trinity, but what we do know and can understand is that God is real and he operates in our lives today. Belief in the Trinity is foundational to our faith. It's a mystery. It's complex. But it is the truth. The three, Father, Son, and Spirit, are one. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the mysteries of our faith. Lord, thank you that you are God, that you are Father, Son, and Spirit, and that we have all three of you at work in our lives. 
to lead us, to show us, to guard us, to save us and to love us. So Lord, continue to work in each one of us as we live out your plan for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.